Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 119, and we're recording on Friday, August 14th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. And we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Amanda, happy Friday. Hello. Uh, we're in <laughs> August. Uh, you can tell by my voice I was out and up late last night. Um, I'm feeling fine. Party animal. Everyone, everyone can t- One thing about a podcast, you can't hide. When you're typing, you know, you can sort of hide behind the, the words. But when you're talking into a mic, uh, it, you can't hide. It very much. So uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm a little, a little on the hungover side, and it's sad <laughs> con- considering how little I actually uh, consumed. But what are you going to do? I'm an old man now. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. being old. let's get into follow. We got a lot of follow up this week. Uh, where did you? Oh, okay. Never mind. There's another thing that's related to something we talked about the last time you were on the show. Show the plotted hole, but we'll we'll save that for down the show a little bit. Um, you got to save the plotted hole. You got to oh, save okay. the plotted hole. So the Romance Romance Writers of America, which is, I guess, is it the trade? It, it, they, they administer uh, the Ritas, the, the Romance Awards we talked about last time. Yes. Um, they released a statement about the For Such a Time book um, that, is a, that we talked about last week, um, with the, when Rebecca was on the show last week, about the... Uh, the Jewish woman in a in a concentration camp that falls in love with the commandant of the camp, and anyway, I can't even get into the the description. The worst. Again. It's just it's, the worst. It's, it's really it's the worst bad. Thing um, they released a statement, and so did um, the publisher of the book. And I don't know. I didn't I, see the publisher's statement. Yeah, it is. A lot of people liked it. And, and the the short version is a lot of people liked it. Uh, we're standing behind it. It was written with good intent. And it was nominated for a Rita Award, which is funny because that it was nominated was with the thing that brought to everyone's attention. They used as a, a defense of the thing that people are pissed. Anyway, and then the Romance Writers of America. You can't be mad that this was nominated for a Rita? Yeah, it was, it was nominated, nominated for, for a Rita. Rita. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I guess the publisher, I guess I'm less surprised by the I'm sorry, you're sorry thing mm-hmm. from the publisher. Because what, what are they really going to do? Like, I saw people tweeting about it, and I think... You know, it was fine to criticize, totally fair to criticize, but were they going to pull the book? Were they going to... No. I, I just no. don't know what they were going to do. Not not to say what they should do is different, but what they actually, like, within the reasonable realm of possibility, I didn't see that they were going to do anything else, something else. They could have at least acknowledged that there were some problems. Yeah. They could have said book. something like, and I mean, what, something like this, like, you know, we didn't see it at the time. We've looked at mm-hmm. it with different eyes. And in hindsight, we might have encouraged it to be a little bit different or to take a different direction. But you know, we stand. You know, we published it. We're not going to back away from it. Let's talk about it. You know, something like that. Maybe you could would do. I don't know what he would do. Um, but anyway, the Romance Writers of America, which which uh, which administers the readers, and they call themselves the Voice of Romance Writers. I don't know if it's a trade guild necessarily. I, I actually don't know what else they do, but. Um, they released a statement, and I thought they might have been a little more, I don't know, uh, acknowledge, <laughs> you know, acknowledge a little bit more the problem. So mm-hmm. the, the middle paragraph, I thought was the most interesting, then I want to hear what you think about this, but the question that we must answer is what um, RWA as a writer's organization should do when issues arise regarding the content of books entered in the Rita contest. Discussions about content restrictions inevitably lead to concerns about censorship. Censoring entry content is not something the board supports. 
If a book is banned from the contest because of its content, there will be a move for more content to be banned. This is true, even especially true, when a book addresses subjects that are difficult, complex, or offensive. Hmm. Very, very interesting piece of rhetoric there. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think um, about that statement? I think if we don't stop misusing the word censorship, I'm going to burn the world down, <laughs> first of all. I, I, it, <laughs> I, it feels like this is a that escalated quickly paragraph. We went from <laughs> uh, issues regarding the content of book to content restrictions to concerns about censorship to censorship to banning. To banning, yeah. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. that's the literal sequence... And I don't know, like, again, someone, and I, I, I wish I could find the tweet. Um, actually, no, I think it was Catherine Locke, who, whose um, blog post we, we used as the jumping off point for the discussion last week, said, you know, deciding what content is, is appropriate, not is precisely what an award is supposed to do. Yeah, like, uh, I get that the Rita, the Rita works um, when a book is entered. There's not really, I mean, we've been saying that the book was nominated for a Rita, but that's not actually how it works. They get like, I guess it's a nomination, but books are entered for consideration right. by their peers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the award is, you know, it's peer reviewed and all of that. And so um, I don't like not including, I don't see how at any point a, a company that runs an award saying, actually, this does not fit our ethos is, right. is a censorship issue. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like the people confusing an organization or a person or people as groups or whatever, rejecting something that's presented in the marketplace of ideas, confusing that for censorship yeah. irritates me to no end. I cannot deal with it. Like these are people making a decision, members of the RWA saying that they don't want this kind of book associated with an award that they value. And that should be something that you would think the RDW would listen to. Instead, all they get is like forums, I guess, is what yeah, the statement says. They've made forums to talk about it. <laughs> I totally agree. And, you know, it's something we deal ourselves with on the site a lot. Like, oh, no. if you're censoring <laughs> me because we deleted your comment or moderated something you mm -hmm. said, it's like, well, first of all, that's not what censorship is. Unless it's the government yeah. saying you can't say that or putting you in jail for saying that, you know, everything else is not <laughs> censorship, basically. Yeah. It, you know, it's curation or gatekeeping or whatever other word you want to use, but it's certainly not censorship. I think this the, the RDO Bay has also fallen into the trap a little bit that the Hugos fell into, which is yes. they, they, they have let the, um, I guess, a lot of the award not be under the direct, their direct control. You know, that mm -hmm. they have this process of nomination and peer review. What, and, and I'm just going to say, you are, you are putting your hands up and saying, we didn't do this. And even mm -hmm. if we did, it's bad. E even if we did do this, it's still, we still wouldn't want to do it, which is kind of a mixed message, right? Because at the one hand, they're saying, we don't want to curate content. And on the other hand, they're saying, but it's peer reviewed, so it's not our, it's not our fault anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's, very, it's very interesting to think about. But if you do not have control of your award, even at the early stages, this is what's going to happen now because um, yeah. there's more scrutiny of these types of things um, along more different axes. And to be honest, it is difficult. I can imagine it's difficult to look at all these books and say, is there anything here that's going to offend somebody reasonably? Or is it reasonably mm -hmm. going to offend some group of people and we should discount it from consideration for those considerations? Maybe you shouldn't I don't even know that like if it's going to offend somebody, but if it's – I mean this book is – indubitably anti-semitic like there's yeah. no way around that and so it's like it's a it's a 300 page slur yeah, <laughs> essentially right. and i mean there are a lot of books especially when you start getting the like the harder versions of erotica and stuff mm -hmm. like that that people could look at and say oh that's offensive i don't want that in the readers but i feel like that's different like something that challenges your moral sensibilities or makes you think differently about consent that kind of stuff is like that comes up a lot in mm -hmm. romance talk um but i feel like that's different than like you have slurred an entire an entire people group, yeah. With your work, and it goes back to like our comment policy, which is you can talk about offensive things in our comments, but if in the same way, if you're saying something like all liberals are X or all Jews are Y or all gay people are this, you know, I'm going to delete it because mm -hmm. it's it's just you can't you just can't slur the folks, <laughs> right? And and I think the RWA uh, needs to take a hard look at itself and say. Uh, what kinds of books do we want to put our imprimatur on? You know, what kinds of books? Do, mm -hmm. I mean, do we really want this kind of? I mean, I really want to know. Like, 
this this to me is corporate CYA speak. Like I really yeah. want to know what the RW board was saying to each other if they sat down and talked about this. Because you know some of them were like, "Oh my god, I mm-hmm. can't." Oh, be- totally. I can't is it believe- Courtney Milan? Yeah, she is. But she tweeted at Courtney Milan, who's a romance author. I don't know if she's the director mm-hmm. of the board or she's on the board, but she said something like, "You know, it's part of the what I sign on for is I can't talk about the board stuff publicly." Yeah. Which to me but is always. But I would bet money that oh, she does not like this at all. I, yeah, I would too. And so I think that that you know I don't know about the history of the RWA and how they've administered the process. I've thought about this with the Hugo. I think both of these awards, if they want, they need to wrest some control back of it. In a different era, maybe you could have a, a little bit more of crowdsourced work for it. But you know, I don't know that you can do that anymore. I think there's too much scrutiny. Mm-hmm. There's too many people looking. Uh, rightly so. I'm not criticizing the people looking by any stretch of the imagination. You just have more eyeballs on you. And the more eyeballs you have on on you, at least if it were me, I'd really want to have my stuff together uh, and really know what was going on with the books that are going on there. So anyway, that's that's the follow-up there. I, I guess a, a uh, an unsurprising non-apology from um, the public people uh, with the RWA and the publishers of the book. Let's get to our first sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is back. Squarespace it's an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create a beautiful, responsive, full-functional website for you and your ideas. Squarespace features a really beautiful interface um, where you can make something that looks great but also does a lot. Um, you can integrate your social media feeds. You can host photo galleries. You can sell stuff. Uh, they have built-in e-commerce that doesn't – there's no additional charge for that. That's part of the package. There's not an upsell, anything else like that. Only $8 a month, and you can get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. So if you sign up for a year's worth, um, they'll throw in your domain registration, which you know can cost $20, $30, $40, $50. Bucks. They'll help you figure out what a good domain name is. There's 24-7 live support via chat and email where you can figure out what's going wrong if you're trying to do something you don't exactly know what you're doing. Again, a lot of us who have some internet literacy but don't necessarily know how to code this is really what squarespace is for so if you're trying to do something that pushes the boundaries of like just a square the straight out of the box there's a lot you can do but you might want to customize something add something that's a little bit different use some plugins um, they can help you out the nice thing about squarespace i've said time and time again i think it's so important one thing we've seen in, in the traffic to book right itself is as you know when we started about four years ago i think 80 percent of our traffic was on on uh regular computers, laptops, or desktops. Now it's about half desktops and half tablets and mobiles. Well, designing a a website for a a big screen is way different than designing it for a phone. And Squarespace, they're out-of-the-box templates. They're responsive, which means you put in your content and the template automatically readjusts your website. It detects what device the reader is looking at your website on and it automatically readjusts the template to give them the best experience. So some things are moved around. Some things might even show on the phone um, because there's not a good way to do it, but it makes it so that your readers can access your content in a great way. I know that we've all had this experience. We click on a Twitter or Facebook link on our phones, and some website hasn't optimized, and it's like you know a miniature, unreadable version of the desktop web page, and there's like little tiny links, and you've got to scroll and expand. It's a disaster. And what you know what we do? We close the link and we go look for something else because it's such a pain in the in the rear end. Um, so you can start a trial with no credit card required, which is awesome because then you don't have to remember. Like I gotta, if you don't like it, which I think you're going to, but anyway. But if you don't find it's going to be for you, you don't have to go back and remember to to cancel your credit card. You know, you just it's just gone. And if you go, go to Squarespace and enter the offer code Riot, and you'll get ten percent off your first purchase, whether or not that's just for a month or a full year or whatever you're going to buy. Um, you can go to offer code Riot at Squarespace.com and get your uh, free trial and then start building your website. I asked for uh, some people who built something with with Squarespace a couple weeks ago. Got a whole bunch of responses. I'm just going to highlight one here and we'll save the rest for the next sponsorships. Um, this is booksandstrangers.com. So what what this site is, is she she asks just random people what they're reading um, and blogs about it. So it's it's, cool. it's very cool, right? This is Ashley uh, at booksandstrangers.com. Let me, let me see. It's not a typical review blog. I ask complete strangers what book they think everyone should read and why and then write about uh, the book with their perspective on, in mind. My blog is very new, so I don't have a whole lot of content. 
Um, but my next blog post is about overwhelmed work, love, and play when no one has the time. That's actually up right now. I'm looking at the site right now. A very nice-looking website. I'm sure it's beautiful, but you can tell just from knowing about Squarespace that this didn't take a lot of time to put together. Um, she has on the right-hand sidebar, you can see the latest posts. Has a very nice, a very nice image with, a, with like a, a book with a, looks like you know, some of the hat and sunglasses to look like a stranger. Um, she has an email subscription sign-up bar on the right-hand side. She has tags, categories, um, a blog loving link. She has her Twitter feed built in. So it looks great. The text looks great. Really easy to read. So that's Books and Strangers. Thanks so much. Uh, booksandstrangers.com. Go check that out. Uh, thanks so much, Ashley, for showing us, helping us show what Squarespace can do. Okay. Um, this is a, the itinerant literate bookmobile. This is something you and Shinsky talked about. I think when I wasn't on the show. Yeah. So you this see, is you follow up this? a small piece of follow up. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, when Rebecca and I did a show a couple weeks ago, we talked about the itinerant literate bookmobile, which is, uh, run by two women in Charleston who didn't actually have the, the, the mobile part of it. Like mm. they were just going around to different events, selling books and were waiting to get the actual bookmobile, but now they've finally put up their Indiegogo uh, campaign. They're looking to raise $65,000 to build out the actual truck part of it and to buy all of the inventory and get all of their, you know, business expenses or whatever put together. And then they're going to drive around Charleston, which only has one bookstore, mm. uh, surprisingly, not a thing I knew, but yeah, drive around one, Charleston. One bookstore total or one independent bookstore? One independent bookstore, okay. sorry. Okay, um, no, it's fine. They had, I don't know how many other like Barnes and Nobles or have, Books and Millions or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So cool. if you are, if you're in Charleston at all, or just want to s- support, you know, an independent book movie, all, yeah. <laughs> here you go. Um, it, the Indiegogo campaign is up. Yeah. I think so. They're 9% funded with uh, 55 days left. They might make it all the way to 65. I think they will. They may, they may, that's it's a, like, it's kitschy. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. That's, that's something if, especially if you live around Charleston, uh, Mm-hmm. A really great idea to support, and they've got some perks there. You get a tote bag, uh, galley alert. Uh, uh, you can, you know, get a, your own shelf talker, a reading kit. They've got mugs, all kinds of good rewards there for the uh, bookmobile. Okay, let's get on to new um, new stories of the week. Where do you want to start here? Any of these um, jump out at you? No, let's do the left bank book. Yeah. Or- because it's first. <laughs> yeah, it's first. Um, you know, the, the internet's so interesting because these are the kinds of stories that I'm sure happened before the internet, but they what you know, mm-hmm. a newspaper isn't going to report them necessarily outside the local, um, you know, uh, the local readership, but we get to see them now. So Left Bank Books, which is in St. Louis, uh, independent mm-hmm. bookstore in St. Louis, did a Black Lives Matter display, which from the picture, it looks like it was just a bunch of um, I guess printed pictures that say Black Lives Matter it wasn't even books featured. It was you know a political statement. Make no mistake mm-hmm. about it. Black Lives Matter in the window in the window yeah. of their store, and someone someone wrote them and said, you know they they lost a customer that we stoked the flames of enmity between between the races and promoted division, and the person asked why they insisted on doing that. Um, but anyway, the the folks at Left Bank wrote a really, I thought, interesting response mm-hmm. um, to this. Uh, a, a couple things, I guess. I, I sure admire independent bookstores for putting their their asses on the line for stuff like this. Um, mm-hmm. Say what you want about you know all the other differences and in, in relative merits of big box or Amazon versus independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. This is not something you're ever going to see Barnes and Noble do. It's not something you're ever going to see Amazon do. Um, so that's something I keep in mind in my own thinking about the great ecology of bookselling is that independent bookstores do do stuff like this. So that, that's always interesting to remember. Um, you know, we, we also get stuff had, like this. You know what? We just got something like this ourselves. We did. I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. going to tell the race baiting story. Right. Go for it. Oh, it was just uh, – we published a post about intersectional feminism that Kelly Jensen, our uh, associate editor, wrote um, – about intersectional feminism and YA. And we got a tweet from someone saying that um, intersectionality is ridiculous. And that just means considering race and religion Mm -hmm. and other 
aspects of oppression when it comes to thinking about feminism, and that what we were doing was actually race baiting, that we were promoting, purposefully promoting division to whatever, I don't know, inside a race war. I don't know what these people think. And that's not the first time someone has called us race baiters and used those like actual words. Um, so, and of course our response is not like, like this letter from Left Bank Books is very kind and um, thoughtful. Like he goes on to explain white privilege to this anonymous letter writer. Whereas I am like, bye Felicia. Like yeah. if you think that I'm a race baiter to the left and I just block people who call us that. So mm-hmm. it's a, just an interesting like, exercise and how to respond to that kind of thing. I could not bring myself to write an explanation of white privilege to somebody who had left a note like that in my store. Like I would not be this nice. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. I guess it's considered more than it's nice because he's not really writing to this particular person. I don't feel like he's more Mm -hmm. writing to the rest of his, you know, his, his customer base. Um, Again, this is in St. Louis. And so I think, these issues, they're prevalent everywhere, but, you know, that's outside of his door with Ferguson and everything right now. And he talks about that explicitly. He talks about mm-hmm. um, white privilege, I think, is interesting. That's one thing that people are talking about more and more these days. Um, and it gets a lot of resistance from white people. Uh, it's a, to a degree that I understand, not that I agree with it, but, like, it always people feel like, I think people feel like they're being insulted or... Mm-hmm. Something like that. You know, the way I think about it is I'm tall and I didn't ask to be tall, but I'm tall. And it's only a problem that I'm tall is if I just assume that the world should be built to accommodate me. And I don't consider that, you know, my own my own upbringing and my own situation affects other people and gives me certain privileges and abilities that other people don't. Um, the, The thing that's so hard, I think, for people to understand about privilege all kinds, but especially white privilege, is it the the point is that you don't feel it. That's the point of it. Right, like that's right, the, exactly. That that's the that's what makes it work is that you don't feel it. Um if you know, in a way I feel my tallness way more than I feel my whiteness. Um when I sit like, you know, when I uh you know actually you know try to get on an airplane get on an airplane <laughs> or any you know anything like that or I'm shopping for shoes, you know, where I wear size 13, 14 shoes, depending on the cut, so they have to go get special. Like, So that time I actually feel more out of the ordinary, whereas when my whiteness is never really at stake. It never really causes me any trouble, except when someone says, think about your whiteness. I'm like, oh, wait. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's a lot of the responses we get to our own discussions about racism are people that feel threatened by having to examine um, the, the advantages they've had that they don't mm-hmm. feel because it feels to them unfair that they're being called out um, and pointed out that they have things that they didn't ask for, um, but that and other people don't. And we want them to think about that. And to some degree, I understand it, but I, but only for about three seconds do I understand mm-hmm. it. You know, only, I think you can, you can say, I don't feel good about that, but then you got to come out of that to some degree. Well, I think that it has a lot to do with um, people, how do I word this? Um, everybody's life is hard to some degree, yes, right? Like right. Everybody's got problems, everybody has struggles, and most people I know are hardworking and honest and try to do their best. And so I think that people say, when, when they're told, well, you have white privilege, and maybe that's got something to do with how successful you are, not necessarily mm-hmm. all this stuff you've ever come or how hard you've worked, even though you have. You haven't earned like a, what you've earned. Exactly. Yes. It like feels like an insult because they're taking it as like, wait, you mean I was given this because I'm white? I've worked, you know, 60 hours a week since I was 10 years old or whatever, you know, and all of those things, like those two things are not mutually exclusive. Yes. Like you have white privilege and your, your life is hard. Like those mm-hmm. two things can and do coexist. Um, but if you haven't thought about it, then you, you know, I could see how somebody's like first reaction would be, excuse me. Yes. You know, I grew up in poverty. How dare you? You know, yeah. so yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But like you said, you got to get past it and mm, like think about it a little more. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing that, you know, people of privilege um, along a, a many different vectors, whether it's gender or race or class or, you know, what, whatever it might be. Um, no one, I don't know anyone that feels like their life is easy. Right. Uh, and so everyone everyone has their own struggles. Um, and it, to some degree, I think people are feeling when they hear someone say, you know, check your privilege, it's your own struggles are 
pointless or not worth thinking about or inconsequential compared to somebody else's. And that's not really what's being said. Um, what is being said is there's this other shadow kind of phenomenon happening that bears inspection even even though you still struggle, even though you work hard, even though you feel like you've worked for everything you have. Because this, this applies to me. Like I feel like I've worked really hard um, going all the way back to you know being a kid in school. Um, but it's not it's not what's caused me to be successful, my privilege, but it's a, it's it's extra um, rocket fuel that well, adds. It's the nitro in your it's tank. It's the nitro, <laughs> right? It's true. Like it gives me, it gives it's it's. I get a little plus sign next to all my hard work and effort, um, and maybe more than a little plus sign, uh, to, <laughs> to be honest. So I, I think I think this is interesting. I, you know, this other thing too that I wonder about too is. I, this guy, Jarek Steele, who wrote, who's the co-owner of Life Bank Books that wrote this, I do wonder if um, one person is worth a response. I, you know, we do, mm-hmm. kind of like you said, like, he seems to really have taken this to heart. And yeah. maybe if this is the kind of thing you care about, you have to be able to say, you know what, get out of here. You know, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the next step for him or, because it's kind of what we do, so I don't want to, I don't want to imply that we're like, beyond this kind of response. I don't think it's anything like that, but no, I've done this before. Like, yeah, I've done the thing where somebody leaves a comment that I think is borderline or is just whatever is offensive for some reason, um, or problematic. And instead of just deleting it or whatever, I, for lack of a better term, use the person to make an example Mm -hmm. like I, of their comment, like I'll leave a response even uh, to their, whatever their silly thing that they've said so that the rest of the community knows yeah. that this is how we feel about this issue. And if you also, if you comment in the same vein as this original person, it's not going to be tolerated. So it's more of like a community building thing. And I get the impression that that's what he's doing here too. Yes. Like he didn't necessarily have to respond, but now St. Louis knows how left bank books feels about that and can walk by that display without being surprised. Mm-hmm. And if anyone else wants to come tell them, or I'm not going to shop here anymore, they already know that they pretty much don't care. Yeah. And aren't going to change what they're doing, or they care and they're not going to change. I mean, you know, they, yeah, they're yeah. aware, but the and they're not. I, I think that's right. I think, you know, the other kind of twin reaction that sometimes come along comes along with this, especially as we see as we talk about books on the side, is why does everything have to be political? Why can't you leave this mm-hmm. other stuff out of this? And I think Jarek is also acknowledging that it is political. Leaving it out is political, right? Yeah. You know, putting it in isn't any more political than leaving it out. It's just political in a different way like Barnes and Noble's tables are political totally um, but in along vectors that are harder to see and therefore actually in a way much more insidious than putting um, your ideology on the table quite literally or in the window uh, quite literally and, and, and you know making it explicit and making it transparent um, I, I think is just a much more honest way of doing it um, so uh, uh, kudos Jarek and Left Bank Books. And if you live in St. Louis, um, you know, go throw, go them, some, some go, go throw them some dollars. Uh, they, I think they deserve it. Okay, let's go, let's go to uh, uh, the, the POTUS's reading list. Should we do this? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't, I guess, oh, you know why I thought about it? Because he's uh, reading, um, Jarek Steele recommended, said, to, kind of in this open letter, said, if you do go decide to shop at Amazon, I recommend Between the World and Me uh, by Tony Ossie Coates, and then, so, which is a nice move. And that also appeared on... Um, the uh, Obama's summer reading reading list that was released by his, I guess, the White House. And I don't know if this is what he's... I was thinking about this, and when I linked to it in Critical Link, I kind of wrote this, like, I don't know if he's actually going to read these. I'm sure this is Mm -hmm. a crafted list to be consumed, obviously, um, because it's it's released. But uh, I thought a very good list. Did you? What do you think of the list? It's great. Yeah. I have no, like... I mean, the Psalter is a little, little saucy. But it, it <laughs> is saucy. It is saucy. <laughs> uh, so the books are um, James Salter's All That Is, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert, which is my next read, actually, which mm. won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction. Uh, the Lowland by Jhumpa Lahiri, which came out a few years ago. Um, Taniasi Coates' uh, Between the World and Me. Um, Washington uh, and, and Washington, A Life by Ron Chernow. So uh, two nonfiction, or three nonfiction, uh, three novels, uh, two ladies, some diversity, 
uh, I guess, you know, you, you get the Washington, you get the flag waving, uh, biography. Yeah. Um, so, you know, an interesting list. I, I'd be, uh, how much would you love to talk about between the world and me with Obama in private for 30 minutes? So just get him on reading lives. Oh, you know, that's, I, I really should have thought of that before I should get on that. You well, you know what? Just in about so 18 easy. months, he's going to have more time on his hands. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested to see. This is totally off topic, but yeah. I am interested to see what he's going to oh, do after. When, like, oh, so interesting. Obama in 10 years is going to be like, oh, what is your what, life? Like, what is your life even like? When I was watching that YouTube clip of him singing Amazing Grace at the, at the funeral uh, for uh, uh -huh. the, uh, the shooting victims, I suddenly had a flash forward of like, oh, like, oh, interesting. Like, I don't know. I, yes. I, I have no idea what he's going to do, but there's a, a billion There's a billion things. I, I don't know if he's going to radicalize or move left or, or what's going to happen. That's my suspicion, but um, interesting. I, I'd love to hear what he talks about that. I also like that he's reading The Sixth Extinction. Probably we need the next president to, to read that one as well. Have you, do you know anything about this book, The Sixth Extinction? Um, yeah, well, I haven't read it, but I've heard, uh, I heard an interview with yeah. the author on NPR and um, it's an interesting pick because it's a very like um, climate change. Oh yeah. I mean, basically it's talking about how the, the stat that caught my eye is that basically 70 or excuse me, 50% of the world's wildlife has been wiped out since 1970 alone. Mm. So, you know, almost within my lifetime uh, we're down a, we're down a 50 spot uh, with, with yeah. the flora and the fauna. Um, the sixth extinction because there have been ice ages and meteors and so like calling calling it like it is to be honest that humanity is really an extinction event for most of the world's biomass whether that's animal mm -hmm. or plant um elizabeth colbert uh, colbert i don't know this stephen colbert has screwed me up for knowing <laughs> how to pronounce that name it's k-o-l-b-e-r-t um let's see i've read the lowland which is great i read the Psalter, um, I've got the coats on my nightstand. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it feels like a very kind of book variety list to me in a way too. Not enough romance or genre, and but uh, yeah, he needs to read Station Eleven. Yeah, I was gonna say if you had stamp on if it, if you had one to add to the pile, does anything jump out as something you'd you'd put on the pile? Oh no, I mean the coats is really uh, no. if I had to put a book in Obama's hands right now, that's what I would pick. So yeah, yeah, that's I think. Um, I wondered about Missoula. But oh, then, yeah. Anyway. So anyway, that, that's the one that jumped out to me. It's like that's the that one. instead of Washington. Pretty much anything is like how many biographies of Washington? I, do you yeah, need? I think we've got it pretty much covered. Though this one came out a while ago, so I don't know if this is the definitive one or not. But uh, yeah, I think we've got Washington covered. Also, as president, he, he maybe should have read Washington when he got, was getting started on being president. I don't know. Just my uh, my cynicism coming in there. Okay, let's see. Uh, oh, you know, you saw this. I don't, someone tweeted this at us. It is the, um, we read to app. Yeah, this is cool. Um, I, somebody pointed it out to me on Twitter. It's an iTunes app. I don't know if it's on Android or not, I don't but know, it's called I don't we either, read yeah. to. Yeah. T O O. And it's a book resource that lists basically books written by authors of color featuring characters of color in children's and YA. There's no adult uh, section in the app yet. I don't know if they have plans to do it or not. But um, so if you're looking for children's books from diverse authors, mm -hmm. also featuring diverse characters or YA that fit, fits those bills, um, there's an app for that. I've always wanted to say that seriously. There it is. There's an app for that. <laughs> That's all. It's one of yeah, have you out. used it at all? Have you tried it yet? I punched with it a little bit. It's... Um, it's one person mm. doing all of the work of, of the app. So it's probably not being updated as quickly as it could be if it were like actually a, a business and it's a free app. So who knows if she's making any, any money on this at all, but um, yeah, it's not being updated very quickly. It is searchable though. Mm. And um, the titles are not uh, obscure. Like it's stuff that I've seen in bookstores and things mm -hmm. like that. So like if you're standing in a bookstore and you need a gift for your niece. I see. And you want to pick something by a diverse author. Um, you can just pull it up on your app and do a quick search. I like this. Confirm for you. Yeah, you don't have to read an entire book mm -hmm. to know if, the, if there are characters of color in it. You can just search in the app before you buy it. So I do feel like um, 
specialized curation of recommendations is an interesting vector of book media and retail going, you know, that that's something we haven't quite mastered yet. Like if you're into specific topics or genres or whatever, you know, having some sort of dedicated, I, I guess, curated way of, you know, it's not just a, it's not just a list, right? It's, you know, it's searchable, it's more exploratory and much wider than any individual list can actually be. I, I think it's an interesting idea. I'm curious to see. And you can buy the books in the app. Mm. She might get it some links you out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It links you out to Amazon yeah. when you click on it in the app so that you can buy it. And, I'm, yeah, I'm sure she gets affiliate revenue from that. But. Which is good for her. It's a handy tool. Um, okay. but, yeah. So that's how that works. So, yeah, try. it's called um, We Read 2. It's in the uh, iTunes store. You could get it on your iPhone or uh, iPad. Um, check that out if that's something you're interested in. I like to see people trying stuff out. Um, Speaking of trying stuff out, oh, no, wait. Oh, do I want to talk it. about Mina Stirith. Okay, Thank you. Yes, do it, do it. <laughs> okay, this story is bizarre. Um, so... <laughs> Speaking of trying stuff out, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah, you did. So You're listening to the show. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there is an Indiegogo campaign being run by architects out of the UK to build the city of Minas Tirith from Lord of the Rings. And not, not a Lego model. Not a scale no, no. model. The actual the city. city. Um, to live in, where people can live in and, and have businesses. And it'll be a tourist attraction, obviously, but there will be residences and all that. And... Um, the campaign is looking to raise 1.8 billion with a B pounds <laughs> in <laughs> pounds. So that's what that's like. That's over a two and a half three, billion dollars, something yes. like that. I, I, maybe 1.8 billion pounds um, in uh, 50 days. So they've got 47 days left. They've already ra- this is great. They've already raised 57,000 pounds, and the little bar says that it's zero percent funded. <laughs> Uh, 1.85 billion pounds which puts the plot hole to absolute shame the plot hole loses (laughs) though the plot hole will probably actually exist whereas this has zero shot of even getting one percent funded uh i know 1.8 i i guess did they even talk about any of the scale or anything like it's gonna be full size i'm pretty sure yeah but like how big is it Oh, uh, no. It, they don't have, nothing, like, square no footage or, or anything I get like the that. feeling that they haven't actually planned this out. No, because they, they really do not expect. I think it has to have been a joke. Yeah. Um, uh, but it doesn't come across as a joke. Like, it's not jokey. It's not jokey, but they do say, like, one of the uh, what-you-need-to-know points is please only donate within your means in the knowledge that this product is a lighthearted venture with virtually no chance of succeeding. <laughs> So I think they recognize, like, um, it's half a joke. Like, wouldn't it be yeah. cool if, but it's probably not going to happen. It's a very straight-faced joke. Yeah. Um, They're trying to raise the GDP of a country. It's insane. I mean, it's such a crazy <laughs> idea. It's it amazing. I love it, though. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe in the fullness of time, something crazy like this will actually get built. Like, I... Not like this necessarily, but someone's going to do some crazy Kickstarter and build something weird with a whole bunch of money. It's going to have like this one's got shared around a lot. Like the, on the Indiegogo page, there's 52,000 Facebook shares, which is a huge number. So a lot of mm-hmm. people have seen it. People aren't donating because, of course, because crazy. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, $1.8 billion. I guess that's about as much as it costs to build like a football stadium. So it's actually kind of low, I think, for a small city. I don't know. I was. I, yeah. I, I need to ask Michelle. She would. She would know um, if it seems even within the ballpark of possibility. But, uh, but as, they've got plans. They've got plans, but like, they, the yeah. copyright infringement alone would be a problem. Oh. We will happily cancel this project should any dispute arise over the image or name of yes, Venus which, which obviously it's going to. Which like obviously Tolkien would. is not going <laughs> to. Yes. The <laughs> Tolkien's have not been known for their particularly um, lax attitude towards fan use uh, of the property. So um, a crazy, beautiful, crazy unicorn dream here from the, <laughs> the, some, some madmen over at Worcester in the United Kingdom. But we had to follow up on that after we talked about the wait, wait. I want to talk. Hold on. I want to point out that 14 people have 
already pledged 900 pounds. The 900 pound prize is a night for two in the city. <laughs> 14 people have already pledged. 10 people have pledged $500 for one night. No one has done the $100,000 pounds. If you pledge $100,000 pounds, you, you become a lord or a lady of the city. Which gives you which when you think about it is a pretty good deal if it actually got yeah built, that's awesome yeah that's that's a good deal it's a good bang for your for your buck do you, what were, do we even know like it's been a while since I've read the books what was the did the currency of Middle Earth have a name did they ever talk about I, like it's not like horses? talents or anything like that of like in Name of the Wind or something did they have did it have its own currency I don't remember I don't remember them talking about money ever I don't remember them even buying anything. Like they they just like drank. I guess they buy beer in that pub. But they do they buy it though. Like my memory is they just go get it. Like I'm sure money must have changed yeah. hands somehow. But like I mean I assumed they bought but it. Tolkien but Tolkien was like sort just... of not didn't care. Like after that you're not just relevant. you're just foraging and eating uh, uh, elvish uh, whey bread, so you don't have to buy anything. Yeah, there's not really any talk of wealth or poverty or yeah, it's all very strange. Like expense, yeah, it's just socialist. Unlike it's the fantasy, na- unlike socialism. the name of the wind, which is mostly about personal finance and uh, uh, having enough money to pay tuition um, and money lenders. Yeah. Oh no, God, I know usury. It's uh, it's crazy. Um, all right, let's move along. Let's let's move on down the line. Hmm. You know this this is this is the biggest head scratchy story to me that I've seen in quite some time. To be honest, um, also over in jolly old England, um, this the city library they built this new library, 188 million pounds uh, in Birmingham, mm. and now they don't have any money for books. Womp uh, womp. They have posted notices requesting members donate their new and recently released books, saying they would be greatly received. The Birmingham City Council confirmed it had placed its own book fund on pause after being compelled to make huge savings across the board as a result of budget cuts nationwide. Uh, it's the city recently. So this spent, is Birmingham in the UK, not Alabama. Yes, in the UK, spent nearly two hundred million dollars on a new library of Birmingham, only to be compelled to reduce its opening hours a year later, thanks to budget cuts. This is wild. So I can't tell if it's a case where they overspent building the thing and now can't afford to run it, or if it was they expected to have the money and then budget cuts at a federal level took all of that money away so they can't afford to run it, or if it's some combination of both. Like, I can't figure out whose fault this is. Right. Is Is it, like, the federal government's fault for taking away library funding or did the Birmingham city council poorly plan this giant, huge state of the earth thing they couldn't afford? $200 million for a a library does seem like a lot, no matter what. So I'll put that to the, Mm -hmm. to the side. Well, actually, sorry, 200 million pounds. So 350 million. God, that's a lot of money. Uh, and it's an (laughs) ugliest sin too. I mean, that's an aesthetic choice. Uh, I'm sure in your mileage may vary, but just looking at the picture here, take a look in the show notes. Yeah. So like, the the question is is the pot of money they used to build the library related to the pot of money that's used towards you know ongoing expenses to running the library as per usual it could be that this was some sort of special bond issue right to get library funds and if they had spent 100 million dollars they'd still have no books right yeah um, yeah that's what i mean so we don't really know but in any case there's there was 200 million dollars allotted for the library and they got this I'm sure a state of the art building and but now the the books themselves are drying up. It's just so it's just so strange. Um So they can't this, buy any books that have been published in the last 12 months. Jeez. And are asking for donations. So if you've spent $25 on a hardcover in the last 12 months, your library wants it. <sighs> That's the literal opposite of how libraries are supposed to function. The whole situation is just dire. Yeah, I mean, I, I have heard that these new these new cuts in the public services over in the UK have been pretty severe. So I, I guess I'm not mm-hmm. surprised. And the money on the building has already been spent. So it's not like you can go like you know let's take some let's take 50 million pounds out of the library building like chop down a wing and sell it for scrap. <laughs> like that's just not how it works. But it's. It's it's quite a it's quite a disjunction of bylines to see that much money spent on a library and then to have no no money for new books. It is, you know, there is this thing that happens in public works projects, and I know a little bit because I live with an architect that cities and places will spend and get huge donations 
for these giant buildings and beautiful buildings that say they built that, but it's harder to raise money for ongoing expenses like paying the janitors and the staff mm. and buying the magazines. This also happens in universities where if you get to name a building or the sports pavilion or the professorship, people like to put their name, they'll give a bunch of money for that. But for the boring nuts and bolts kind of stuff, it's not as sexy you know, to fund that yeah. kind of thing. So you can get massive uh, disjunctions in the amount of money given for different things where it seems like the thing you'd want to ensure is that you can buy new books and have it available because that seems to me the point of the library. But that's not what happens here. A cautionary tale, I would say here, for those of uh, people looking to build new libraries. All right, we better do our next sponsor. Scribd is back. You know, it's summertime, a lot of people traveling. A good time, A, to try something new. And with Scribd, that's the cool thing about Scribd, is you can use them to try new things, um, different genres, unlimited reading, and access of more, uh, a library of more than half a million ebooks and audiobooks. They've got the big publishers, HarperCollins, Simon Schuster, HMH, Penguin Random House audiobooks. Marvel, DC, comics, also you can try. Get a load of there. Um, you go to scribd.com slash bookwrite, S-C-R-I-B-D.com slash bookwrite. You can get a 30-day unlimited trial of reading and listening in comics. Uh, and then after that, it's only $8.99 a month. But the cool thing, I think, about these kinds of services, and Scribd in particular, since it has audiobooks and comics, is you just try stuff on for size. If you like it, mm -hmm. keep reading. If not, Move on to something else. Uh, they have curated collections that you can browse if you're looking to related topics. As you rate and read things, um, the, the, the app will try to surface new things for you. They've got, the other thing is they've got new books. It's not just like, it's not like Netflix where you know there's going to be a window before it appears on Netflix like a year, two years, and it goes in and out. Here they've got new books that they just came out. Uh, Between the World and Me is available as audiobook there, just as one example we've been talking about. Um, hundreds of curated collections from their team of editors. So thanks so much to Scribd for sponsoring the show. Scribd.com slash bookwrite. Go try something else there. Um, apps available uh, for your reading device, uh, uh, your, your tablet or smartphone there. Okay. Hmm. 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 What do you want to do next? T take Let's me to your leader. Let's talk about Truman. Oh, Harper yeah. Truman. What's going on here? Well, this... They kind of buried the lead, I think, yeah, a little I bit thought in so. here. But yeah, okay. This article from the New York Times is about how there's an author publishing a middle grade novel about Harper Lee and Truman Capote as children. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know, Harper Lee and Truman Capote were next door neighbors in Monroeville, Alabama. When they were children, they grew up together and they were good friends until <clears throat> Truman became crazy and an alcoholic. Anyway, but in this article, like way down in there, they're releasing a new collection of Truman Capote stories from mm -hmm. his time when he lived in Monroeville. Not like when he was eight years old, but he came back every summer and wrote stories about local people and all that. And so we're getting a new short story collection from Truman Capote, who died in 1984. <laughs> did, is, <laughs> you did, do, do you know if Tanya Carter is the executor of the Capote estate, too? I'm pretty sure she's not. I'm, I'm, I say that kind of only... <laughs> Well, 90% joking, but 10% mm -hmm. maybe. And this isn't good. It's interesting. I don't think this will get the backlash that the Ghost of the Watchmen did just because, I guess, you know, I think Capote wrote his beloved as uh, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, but also he's dead, right? Like, it matters. Like, we talked yeah. about this when the Ghost of the Watchmen thing was announced. Like, I think people would feel different about it if, if Harper Lee wasn't alive um, and silent, about it when he, when he was a teenager man well it's yeah when he was a teenager and young man and i've actually i've been reading tons of harper lee biographies recently um to prep for oh, plug your thing plug I'm your doing. thing plug your thing oh okay yeah uh, i'm at the mississippi book festival august 22nd if you live in the south or don't whatever come to mississippi it's in jackson it's the first mississippi book festival and i'm doing a panel I'm moderating a panel about Harper Lee mm -hmm. and her legacy and her books and all of that. And if you're not, if you can't make it, it'll be on C-SPAN. So there you go. Anyway, so I've been reading all of these biographies, and Truman actually got in a lot of trouble when he was a teenager for writing, uh, for writing because his short stories were all really horribly mean, catty, very Truman Capote things about his neighbors, like thinly disguised takedowns of his neighbors. Mm. And if that's what <laughs> all of these stories are, and so like he got in trouble and then stopped. Just, 
stopped putting them out in the public. Like, that's why we haven't seen these before, because his neighbors were so offended. One of them was about Herbert Lee's mother, and it was, like, horrible. And anyway, he was not a nice person. And now we get to read all of his gossipy (laughs) thoughts about people in Alabama. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this book isn't going to sell. I mean, so hardcore no. Capote fans of which are there? I mean, do you know people that are like Capote fans? No, like what is there about if you like In Cold Blood? I get like there are people yeah. who are really into In Cold Blood. If you or like Breakfast at Tiffany's, stuff. what people like the movie sure. better than the book? I think. Oh, um, I don't. Yeah, I think most people don't. Not maybe not most, but. Many. It seems like a lot of people don't know that it's a book. Yeah, Capote is... And the book is totally different. Yeah, it is different. Capote is one of those rare authors in which the icon has, seems to have superseded the work itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if, the, if anyone else jumps to mind. I think Oscar Wilde's a little bit like that. Not to say that the work yes. isn't interesting, but like he's such a, a, you know, a personality and, and mm-hmm. over time has become almost a caricature of what he actually was that... You know, you can make Oscar Wilde references and feel like you know what Oscar Wilde is about without having read one word of the importance of being earnest or, you know, uh, Dorian Gray or anything else like that. Um, yeah, they did bury the lead, though, because the main story is about someone writing a middle grade or YA book about Harper Lee and Capote as kids, right? The novel? Is that yeah. what the, the main mm-hmm. story is about? Which is kind of yeah. interesting uh, in its own right. Oh, I, we'd be remiss. It's not a book right podcast if we don't do a little stats. Let's do one more story about stats. This is a, a long okay. um, article in the Wall Street Journal about the rise of reading on your phone, uh, which, you know, from what I've heard in our own uh, book riot uh, back channels and among the staff, uh, we can, you know, this is something we've seen anecdotally on our side that a lot more of us are reading on our phones our digital books than, than we used to. Um, the stats mm-hmm. they cite here are uh, pretty striking, really. According to Nielsen, the percentage of ebook buyers who read primarily on tablets was 41% in the first quarter of 2015 compared to 30% in 2012. So that's one thing that's up. Tablet reading is up. But 54% of ebook buyers say they use smartphones to read their books at least some of the time. That's up from 24% in 2012. So more than doubled in the last three yeah. years. Um, it's interesting. The number of pe- Go ahead. The number of people who pretty much only read on their phones went from 9% to 14%, mm-hmm. so it's obviously going, um, going up. The number of those reading on Kindles and Nooks dedicated e-readers dropped over the same period from 32 to 50% uh, as well. So that, that's where it's coming from, it seems. People are ditching yeah. their dedicated readers um, and moving to phones, which, and I don't know if... You know, the last couple of years, phones themselves have gotten quite a bit larger. Um, my iPhone mm-hmm. 6 is a lot bigger than my old iPhone 5. It's more, you know, uh, higher res screens. Um, and also people, I think, they're getting used to it. Like, your phone, most of us have our phone with us all the time. Uh, yes. And you can just pick it up for five minutes if you're standing in line or you're waiting to pick somebody up or, you know, you, you just have a few minutes of time. It's very easy to fill those interstitial moments uh, with your phone, whereas... You, you know, you got to remember to put your your Kindle in your purse, or if you're a dude in your briefcase, or <laughs> your pants. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So uh, this is numbers. They're striking numbers. They're they're significant changes, but they totally resonate with my own experience and what I've heard anecdotally from other people. Is that does that sound right to you? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I did this. I dropped my Nook. Yeah. To read on my phone, yeah. I had a Nook, and it's it was nice. You know, it was a perfectly pleasant and mm-hmm. fine reading experience, but. I don't want to carry two devices around. And the only reason that I read electronically is like you were saying, so that I, I always have it with me. So when I'm out, I don't have to take a physical book with me, mm-hmm. uh, less stuff to carry around. Um, but there, there's no reason to carry two devices. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So uh, in the name of efficiency, I only read on my phone now. The, the well, h- and physical books. But. The hook of this article, though, is a little odd to me because it says, it, it's saying basically that the publisher got to respond to this and rethink the way that books are designed, marketed, and sold with smaller screens in mind. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is a solution in search of a problem. Like, is there a problem with eBooks on your phone? I, I feel like I don't I have don't... a problem with it. Like, it seems fine. It works fine. I mean, the only problems that I've had with it are, are technical bugs. Like, if the footnotes don't work, or, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm scrolling through the table of contents and accidentally hit the wrong link. Like, none of it is... It's, it's all issues with digital usage. It has nothing to do with how the book has been designed or put together. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. But they talk about like redesigning covers for. Well, that makes so sense. The, yes. The, the the font is bigger. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But yeah, yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. Right. Because I've if, heard actually that the reason you probably have not noticed this, but um, the reason why romance novels. The covers of romance novels are in America are very often women in, in like ball gowns or dresses mm-hmm. or whatever. And if you look at the covers from the 70s and 80s, they're usually very muted, kind of pastel pink and light blue and lavender. And now they're like these really bright fuchsia. The dresses are bright fuchsia, bright yellow, bright gold. And I asked about it on Twitter and Courtney Milan actually said it's because of people buying stuff on their phones. Like the colors are just so much more noticeable uh. when you're scrolling through your phone so it's more eye-catching and it, it catches mm. more digital readers that way. So covers are changing because of reading on phones. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I've noticed yeah. a trend in literary fiction, which didn't used to be the case, I, I don't feel like, where the name of the book, the title of the book and the author's name, the font takes up a lot more of the cover than it once did. And I don't know hmm. if that's sort of a similar reason. Like um, you, you did a thing on Instagram with, uh, what was the name of the Gold Flame Citrus? Gold Fame Citrus. Gold Fame Citrus, um, mm-hmm. which is a good example of this, which is has a, a very, it's a beautiful, bright colored, patterned um, jacket with uh, Claire V. Watkins' name big and the title of the novel really big, so that if you do get it at, you know, what is it, five inches diagonal screen size, you can see uh-huh. it, the title. You can remember the title. So if you're not buying it right then, you can you can read it, you know, to remember it later. Um, so so that makes that makes a big sense to me. The other thing they mentioned a little bit is also self-publishing, um, Wattpad, some of these these new ways of distributing basically text narratives uh, all around are just so much easier to do on phones. Um, Oyster says that 55% of its reading, uh, its its subscribers are using their phones. Which I thought actually felt low to me. Uh, only fifty forty five percent are using tablets. It seems really high, uh, comparatively speaking. But uh, anyway, there it is. So I, I thought that was an interesting um, development. And one, I don't know if that's going to accelerate. Uh, I don't know if people are going to more and more turn to their phone from e-readers. I, I guess I would suspect that e-readers are kind of like the iPods uh, of books. Is that for a while they were great, but as your phone can do it eighty percent as well, and it's always with you it's going to be harder to, to justify and remember and maintain an e-reader uh, over time. So, okay. Yep. All right, one last sponsor this week, tryoutabooks.com. Uh, the other way you can fill your interstitial reading time when you're out you and go. about, now don't, don't mention it, it ruins it. Um, <laughs> no, I mention it all the time. Uh, is that you can listen to audiobooks. Yeah, I fall into this pattern. Like I, I actually have, I've kind of abandoned audio, uh, e-books and all of my out and about time is, is interstitial time. I turn to my audiobook just because I like it better. And so I'm doing right now. I'm, my pattern is audiobook, nonfiction, and hardback fiction at the same time. Wow. I, I, yeah, I, I, I've forgotten. I, I don't know if I talked about it on the show before, but I like. I've always liked reading hardbacks the best. I'm big and I got big hands, so like it's the right size for me. Um, and when Ghost of the Watchman came out, I ordered it in print because I wanted to have one, and I read it in print in a day. And I was just like. This book is weird, and I'm not really enjoying it, but I like this experience. So I've been going to the library, gotten um, polishing off my library cred, been using the library. But then audiobooks, because there's, there is so much time in the week, in the days, in the months, in the years, where you could be listening to it. The, the, the obvious one is cars. I mean, that, that's, that's the one. Mm-hmm. I think podcasts and audiobooks have benefited greatly from two things that, that go hand in hand. One is that we do have phones with us that have cellular connections you can download directly and that can connect to cars. And a lot of us have commutes or we're driving around or we're running errands or on road trips. Summertime, a lot of time for road trips. Great time where you can do big, you know, a couple hours worth at a time. But you can listen to audiobooks at a whole bunch of other different kinds of time. Like I've suggested before, um, if you like to watch sports but hate the commentary, it's great to listen to an audiobook while you're watching a baseball game uh, or golf mm-hmm. or football or something like that. You know, the sports sports um, broadcasts are loud and busy and there's a lot of commercials. But that's one thing you do. Also, if you like video games, um, I am so glad that audiobooks weren't out when I was younger because the amount of more time I would have spent – playing video games because I could listen to an audiobook of a time would have been off the charts. But, you know, it's another <laughs> something else you can do while you're playing a video game. Casual gaming, if you're playing Candy Crush on your phone, need some downtime. You know, you can mix and match the kind of activity you're doing. Tryaudiobooks.com, they've got suggestions for you if you're gardening, cooking, 
exercising, crafting. Um, I'm getting out and exercising a little bit more now, which I hate to do, but that I know I can listen to my audiobooks for 30 minutes while I'm doing it makes it slightly more palatable. And that slightly more palatable is all I'm looking for. Uh, really these <laughs> days. Speaking of, uh, the August are doing giveaways and their their theme for this month is running, listening to while you run workout. You don't have to, you could be lifting weights, you could be uh, other exercising things that I can't think of right now. Um, and there's, they, they have some they have some suggestions. Uh, Every day fight by Stuart Scott, the ESPN news anchor that passed away his memoir, um, Blood on the Snow, which is a crime uh, novel by the great Scandinavian crime uh, writer, Yo Nesbo. Um, a Devil's Bridge by Linda Fairstein, The Forgotten Room by Lincoln Child. You can win all of those. Go to tryaudiobooks.com uh, right now and see what they suggest for you and get on audiobook. Have you listened to anything good recently? Um, not from Try. No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, so yeah. I don't know which I'm listening. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, I'm listening. Okay. Um, well, then, yes. I'm listening to... The Organ Trail by Rinker Buck. Mm. Have you heard about this mm. book? It's so great. It just came out in June. <laughs> it's by this crotchety journalist who um, like kind of loses his job because of the internet. And so in this like fit of cussedness, he buys a team of mules and a covered wagon and decides he's going to recreate the Organ Trail. So he starts <laughs> in Missouri, or I think, or Kansas. I can't remember which. And then goes the 2,000 miles. Missouri's where it started. The okay, gateway to the West, St. Louis, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And it's the first, so he's the first person who has driven the trail um, in a covered wagon in over 100 years. Whoa. He meets a lot of crazy characters along the way, of course. And um, there's random history of like the history of covered wagons, the history of mules coming to America. And it's, it's eat, pray, love for history buffs. Mm. Who want their narrator to be a sixty-year-old grumpy white man? I mean, uh, that, that and that is me. That I, a, I was going to say we don't use Amanda's wheelhouse very often on the show, but that's an Amanda's <laughs> wheelhouse book uh, right here. Right. I'm just, I made a video about it that's going up on YouTube oh, next no. week. I'm just having so much fun <laughs> with this book. It's great, and the the author reads it on audio and mm. um, gravelly sounds like a sounds like a sixty-year-old journalist from Chicago. That's, so that's been on nice. the, in a covered wagon for several months uh, at the same yes. time. Uh, let's talk about a so few good. new books. We'll actually try to cover for Shinsky this week. We'll do a pale imitation uh, of Shinsky, but a couple books we want to. I guess the big book release this week is Felicia Day's uh, memoir, You're Never Weird on the Internet Almost, um, yeah. which is about her. I, she's super interesting because she she is now known for being a nerd on the internet, I think, more than anything. She's an actress, of course. Um, yeah. But she's into video games and comic books and nerd culture and big on Tumblr and social media, um, someone who's talked out openly about her nerddom and also talked about feminism and cultural issues. Um, and she's funny and open and honest and vulnerable. Um, uh, I follow her on, uh, on Twitter uh, and find her interesting and amusing as well. I'm not sure I'm going to get to this book, but um, I've heard that it's, if you like Felicia Day, you're going to like this book. It's kind of the pitch I've been heard. Like it's, she's going to move some units to her fans, but I think she's a really interesting person. And if you're looking for, you know, a memoir, tongue in, not tongue in, but honest, open, um, nerdy woman's perspective, this would be a good uh, late summer pick for you, for you as well. Um, the other one I want to highlight this one, this for a couple reasons, Bright Lines by Tanwi uh, Nandini Islam as a new, it's an original paperback from Penguin came out this week. The, the hook, the one that, a blurb got me on this. A blurb uh -oh. it caught my attention. Well, actually, no. Uh, volume 1 did a best debut novels of 2015 so far list that I linked to this week, and I was, I was scrolling it, and it's got, this has an awesome cover um, with this, it's kind of a, a, a young girl riding a bike against the silhouette of like this prismatic um, rainbow. It's metallic, and it has this like, weird optical illusion that looks like it's moving. Anyway, it's a great cover. But the blurb was... Um, the Royal Ten the Brooklyn meets Bangladesh version of the Royal Tenenbaums. I don't even know what that means, but I was so it got <laughs> me to keep reading. But it's a family saga um, about uh, uh, Islamic family and things happen, and they've got to deal with it, and they've got to go back to Bangladesh and figure some stuff out. Um, very interesting debut novelist. Uh, she lives here in Brooklyn, and then uh, the the related thing is we're gonna have a, I'm gonna do a, a live recording. Of reading lives, my, the the show that the other show that I do for Book Riot, um, with um, uh, Tanwi uh, Islam herself at the Strand Bookstore, the night of September third, 
Uh, we sit down, record. You can come if you'd like to. Uh, and reading lives, basically, I talk to people about their life in books, how they got started as a book nerd, what they read as a kid, were their parents readers, books have meant things to them, reading in college, how they read now. Um, it's a it's a it's a book nerd show for book nerds about book mm-hmm. nerds. Um, I have a lot of fun doing it, but she's graciously agreed to be the first live participant at the Strand. It's ticketed, but the ticket is either you buy a copy of the book or a fifteen dollar gift card to the Strand. And if you're listening to this show, you can spend 15 bucks at the Strand and, and, and not even worry about it. So um, <laughs> that's September 3rd, 7 p.m. I do hope some folks will come out. And uh, if you listen to the show and you do show up, please come say hello to me and we can be awkward together uh, for a few minutes about that. Uh, another couple plugs. Amanda's new show, Get Booked, Episode Zero is up, where you talk, you talk with Shinsky for like about 10 minutes about what the show is going to be. Um, yeah. You go, go to iTunes and you can just search for Get Booked and you'll find it there. And you can go ahead and subscribe. The first live episode is the first, the episode one is September 10th. Is that right? Yes. September 10th. So yeah. not that far away. Um, yeah. We've, uh, I've sent Amanda your recommendation request that you forwarded to the podcast at bookriot.com email, but you have your own email now, which is. Get booked at bookriot.com. I probably could have figured that out. Uh, but yeah. if you've got recommendation <laughs> requests, send them to Amanda at get booked at podcast, uh, get booked nope. at bookriot.com, the email address. There you the go. things you want to say there is like recommendations can be for you, can be specific, can be general, can be for other people. Um, for your book club. For your book club, for any number of things like that. If you're a teacher, you're looking for different things to teach, um, for gifts. Uh, the other thing we say when we do recommendation show for the main show is if you don't want her to say your name, say that. Like, you know, don't, yeah. you know, keep my personal information out of it or just don't include personal information. That's totally fine. Or if it's okay, then she'll use your name so you know she's talking about you and other things like that. But um, those are the things coming up. The other plug we have is Book Riot Live. There'll be live recordings of this show, Get Booked, Reading Lives, All the Books. The Book Nerd Podcast, O Comics at Book Riot Live, and, and then, not to mention, a few dozen awesome um, authors, publishing-related people, nerdy book people, um, November 7th and 8th, here in New York City. It's a two-day readers' convention. It's the We kind of think about it as the readers' convention we've always wanted to go to, so we're making it. Um, all kinds yes. of panels that mix genres and experiences, um, all the way from... You know, literary fiction to uh, being goofy with table games and gonna have bookish Jeopardy and all kinds of fun stuff. A whole slew of book riot people are gonna be there. A whole slew of some of our favorite authors are gonna be there. Um, we're really looking forward to it. And if you use, if you want to go check it out, by August thirty first, you can get a deal on a ticket. Go to bookriotlive.com and at the checkout, use offer code wheelhouse one word and you get twenty bucks off your ticket. Um, two days of fun and frolicking with a thousand or so of your fellow book nerds. So looking forward to that. I think that's our show. Is that our show? That's our show. All right. Amanda, thanks for being on the show this week. We'll talk to you later. Bye.